Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, the 63rd episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. My name is Matthew. I'm one of your hosts. Hi, I'm Jacob. I'm also one of your hosts. And today we are going back to one of our favorite shows, uh, our favorite recent show. We're going to be talking once again about the Orville. Um, kind of funny, we were actually planning to do this show last last time, and we wound up audibling into that uh, show that I hope a lot of, from what I can see already, a lot of folks really enjoyed about Babylon 5. Um, and it's kind of perfect in a way, because both the Orville and Babylon 5 are very clearly deeply influenced by Star Trek. Um Babylon 5, I think, is in a lot of ways is trying to be somewhat different than Trek, whereas Orville is, I think, the most Star Trek show we've had in a long time. And that, to me, I'm thinking it's a lot more Star Trek than either Enterprise or Discovery. Um, but but either way, Orville, I think, is a really good thing for us to be talking about. And especially, we're going to be talking about the last episode of Season 1. Um, it was the one we didn't talk about on our first Orville show. And it's an episode that is so rich and has so much going on in it that we really wanted to kind of do a deep dive on it. Um, so, Jacob, why don't you start? Can you give kind of just like a, a brief summary of that episode for anyone who hasn't seen it? Um, and I will say again at the, the beginning, we'll obviously be spoiling everything from the episode. Jacob's about to do exactly that. But, um, so if you want to pause it and go watch it, great. But also if you're the sort of person who, even if you haven't seen it, you're still interested in the ethical questions it raises, um, the hopefully, you know, going to go ahead and keep on keep on listening and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of fill you in on everything that's happening and, Bring you right into discussion. So, Jacob, what's what's kind of happening in this episode? So, so, yeah, we're talking about the season finale for season one of the Orville, Mad Idolatry, is the is the title. And Thank you. this deals with the Prime Directive, which is not what they call it in the Orville, but it, it deals with the ramifications of interacting with an underdeveloped culture uh, in ways that can then influence that culture. And basically, it's, it's like a... What the episode does is it tries to give you like a demonstration, an example of what this can do to a people and why uh, you have these stories where these advanced civilizations have these kinds of rules. Uh, basically, what happens in the episode is they encounter this planet that's that's doing weird stuff where it, it shows up, the planet's there and the planet's gone and the planet's there and then the planet's gone and they like... They came out here to study it, to figure out what's going on. Uh, send some people down. They, they have some idea of what the cycle time is, so they know they're not going to like lose their people or abandon anybody. Um, and so they, they send a team down to investigate, check things out. And while they are there, uh, Kelly Grayson, first officer of the Orville, uh, sees a... Uh, uh, a group of, of natives, a group of, of native people to the planet, uh, a group of children specifically. And while they're playing around, one of the children sees her. And then while running away, scared, uh, falls and, and gets majorly injured. Uh, and this is a very uh, technologically deficient by comparison to the, the culture of the Orville civilization. So they're, the injury that this little girl sustains is probably not one they're going to be able to heal. Kelly feels understandably responsible for this. And so she goes to help the child uh, and, and ends up healing the child using the equipment she has on her. The problem with this is that the child remembers her, remembers the name Kelly and passes that on to yeah. uh, the people who find her, uh, which then what they find out is the planet shifts out. So the, the crew comes back up, the planet shifts out when the planet comes back. Uh, they are several hundred years 
developed past that point. Uh, so what they've discovered is that as it's, as it's leaving, it's, it's bouncing between dimensions. And the dimension it's bouncing to, time advances much more quickly there than it does uh, in, in our dimension, right, in our universe. And so what happens is that that civilization then develops. It's just, it's very much a like, you know, a writer's dream where they get to do this, right? Where they get to show you right. the impact of this particular event on the culture of the world as a whole. And as it turns out, uh, a religion has formed around Kelly the healer, right? Uh, yeah. And this idea, there's, there's, they see some people who, there's this idea that, um, uh, you know, if if you do not believe in Kelly, or or if uh, you are found to, or if people believe you to be wicked, uh, they'll injure you. And if Kelly thinks you're worthy, Kelly will heal you. Right? It's just it's very like Spanish Inquisition. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess not quite like that. Like cross between that Dark Ages Crusade, like very much a a dark time in the civilization's history. Uh, Obviously, Kelly feels responsible for this. Uh, Mercer's having a cow because this is like <laughs> this is like exactly what they're supposed to try to avoid. But they they were stepping in it regardless. And he, well, uh, real quick, one of the things that that he acknowledges is that uh, the the injury, the the and potentially death of that little girl also was due to their stepping in there. And this is the kind of risk they take whenever they go down to to one of these planets physically. Um, when they don't know the score, when they don't know how developed the civilization is or how they're going to react. Um, it, to, to, I mean, I'm going to try to quick jump through, but not spoil the ending. Um, one of the things they do while they're there in that part of the timeline is that Kelly ends up meeting with the Pope, basically the, mm -hmm. the head of the religion saying, I am the Kelly. Like they have a statue that looks exactly like her and she's able to go, look, this is clearly me. It's all just advanced technology gets their Pope on board. And then after they leave, the Pope gets assassinated because the people in the church want to maintain the power and control they have over the people. And I think important to note here is that it is pretty similar to what you'd imagine kind of a Middle Ages type religion is, that there are people who are disbelievers in Kelly and they are being punished as heretics in some pretty brutal ways. And mm -hmm. I think that that's a big part of why Kelly is so horrified about this and feels the need to kind of step in and see if she can fix this. Right. And as it turns out, uh, even though she could start a religion with a simple action, you can't really kill one the same way, right? You can't really quash the ideas. Even even if you talk to the purported head of the religion, if it's got a power base established, and, the, you know, it makes sense, but it's, it's sort of this object lesson, right, within the episode that I find fascinating. Um, they flash forward again. They see that, you know, Kelly is still being worshipped as a deity uh, after the they jump out and back in and they're in a, you know, they've got satellites and they're more of like a modern civilization. And what they end up doing to try to finally fix it, because the Union is having a conniption, right? They're, they're not happy about this either. Uh, but, like, you can't really, like, the only way you can fix it is by interfering more. And they end up sending Isaac, uh, the, the android, the uh, uh, artificial life form, that is on the Orville down because he'll be able to last for an entire, however long the cycle is. It's like 700 some odd years uh, to see if like having a presence endure over time can finally stamp this thing out. Uh, right. And so he stays there when the, when the planet shifts to the other universe and then comes back, uh, which leaves us with a 
satisfying conclusion, but not for the reasons you might think. Uh, and I think that we can save what else ends up ultimately happening for a later portion of that conversation. Do you agree, Matthew, or do you want me to? Yeah, we, we can get to that to be sure. Um, um, but let's start with this question of, cause it, it, as we've talked about before, this show is very clearly Seth MacFarlane's love letter to Star Trek. And it is an homage to Star Trek, but in a lot of ways, he's also picking up the same questions that Star Trek loved to play with and getting to play with them himself. And this is his version of the prime directive debate that comes up in so many questions about in so many different uh, versions of Star Trek. So just starting from there, what do you think? Um, what do you what do you think of the let's start just in general with that con- you and I having that conversation? What's your take on the prime directive in general? Well, and we kind of talked about this a little bit in our last episode, right, uh, with the Vorlons in the shadows. Like, what is the role right. of an advanced civilization in dealing with uh, in dealing with and, and how they, are you supposed to go and help out if you see like a plague on some less advanced planet that's going to wipe them all out or whatever? Um, honestly, the like there's a fine line between uh, being uh trying to lend what we would call humanitarian aid although in this particular context when we're talking about extraterrestrials that term itself is kind of loaded uh i don't have a better one unfortunately but like when i say so when i say that i'm saying that as a very human-centric idea right um so I, i think the line for me has to be you can it makes sense to intervene if if you can like prevent an extinction level event right if you can stop the planet from tearing itself apart or or stop a an entire species or, or civilization uh from dying out um but you do have to acknowledge that you know these are selection factors that exist in nature and that sometimes uh like you know, what What if a uh, an alien race had come by when uh, there was the the uh, Homo sapiens sapiens and the um, and the Neanderthals, right? right. Uh, when when that was happening back in in our early history, and decided to try to save and preserve the Neanderthals, like what would have happened? Uh, well, mm. the entire course of our history gets changed from that interference, and so it's. It's tricky because it is hard to weigh your own conscience, right? Your own desire to preserve life with this idea, well, that things die, right? And people die, and sometimes entire civilizations <clears throat> or entire species die over the course of, of nature, over the natural course. Uh, and so I think, for me, I think that the line towed by the federation and in and the union and the orville both are a little bit inconsistent in how they approach it um i think i like the orville slightly better because one of the things we see and this is a very slight spoiler for you matthew but one of the things we see is that uh in season two is that one of the union's policies is that if a civilization reaches out and says hey is there anybody out there right looking for uh, looking for an answer, looking to see if there's any extraterrestrials uh, out there or whatever their term would be, uh, the union policy is that they answer, right? They come and they, they show up and they initiate yeah. first contact. Whereas the Federation is far more restrictive about that. We actually have an episode where Data 
uh, it's called Pen Pals in Next Generation. I don't know if you remember this episode or not, but uh, of course I remember it because it involves data. Uh, there's a uh, an alien girl who who he intercepts a reception uh, a transmission from, and he ends up uh, basically becoming like Pen Pals, talking back and forth with her, and Picard like again gets very upset like you have no idea what the te- technological development level of this per- of the the civilization she's from is you have no idea what what her circumstances are you have no idea if it's ethically conscionable to even make your presence known to the people of this world um and i think that's a really important distinction because i always felt like in star trek they always held that the prime directive is so important they never really go that far into why. I mean, they sometimes do a little bit, but like you said, it is so restrictive. And to me, I feel like that of all the different reasons that are proposed for a prime directive type thing, I don't, we're using that term because I don't think the Orville comes up with a specific term for this doctrine, um, but it's clearly the same kind of thing. The reason that made sense to me of the, of the many Trek reasons is the idea of a culture that is not yet ready to even conceive of the possibility of alien life encountering alien life can do incredible damage to that culture. And that seems to be at least the main reason why the Orville folks are so concerned about it. Um, and, and, and so I think by that definition, the idea that when a culture reaches out to the stars, that they're ready to be contacted, that to me makes a lot of sense as the, as the line, because at the point they're doing that, they're clearly really starting to think about, is there something else out there? Could there be something else out there? In a way that experiencing something else would be a huge change, but I don't think would have the same kind of catastrophic effects. And so, and yeah, that kind of leads into the second, because I think in the same way, I, I'm kind of similar to you. I think some kind of a prime directive makes a lot of sense. I think having it be the prime directive, you know, above all others is where I think Star Trek always kind of lost me and where, well, but, but especially because since the, the, the rule seems to exist in Star Trek, mostly to get broken again and again and again. Um, and, and I think that I, I kind of like the Orville's take a little bit better for that exact reason, because it seems to be a little more focused on what's the actual problem with the prime, with, with, with the alien contact with a, uh, not as developed world. And, and, and let's examine that specific problem and how, how can we draw the line in regard to that? Right, and there's a there is a line that both uh, Star Trek and the Orville take, where uh, prov- providing technology, right, particularly weapons, but any kind of like, here's our stuff, here's our technology. Even like when they're doing the the first contact situation, it's not a case where it's like, here you get to have all of these fun fancy toys now, right? It's a case of look, like we can share technology with you. If, you know, we feel that it will help enrich both of us and it's not going to advance you too far too quickly. But there is this idea that, you know, technology is advanced technology is dangerous. And if a civilization is not ready uh, for that technology, for the ramifications of that technology, it will, as you said uh, so succinctly earlier, do more harm than good. Uh, yeah. And so that idea is is sort of shared by both shows, both uh, mythologies, if you want to put it that way. Uh, and I think that's correct. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with with that general principle. Uh, the idea that you know, especially if you give somebody, if you give a civilization the power to do something that they couldn't do before, and they don't understand, right? They they don't have the capacity for for like 
understanding the science that you're giving them, then you can uh, basically you're giving them the ability to abuse it without the ability to know how to fix it when they when something goes wrong. Right. And the one counterpoint, though, I think, and, and I think this is true for both both shows. Part of my concern about this is, and, and we're, it's coming out in our discussions here, we're talking about sort of where a culture is in their progression. And I think for both shows and, and for our discussion, there's somewhat of an assumption that a culture's technological and social and cultural development is somewhat linear. And that there is going, that there, it's going to be different in different ways, but that they're all going to go through different stages of you know, superstition leading into science, leading into more science, leading into more sort of openness to different ideas. And like, and, and, and that I think certainly came out a lot of the time in Star Trek. It comes out a little bit in the Orville and I'm not an anthropologist. And certainly we've, we've only had one example of overall species development. So it's hard to kind of compare it to anything, but I, I'm not sure I agree with the idea that every culture would necessarily progress in that same kind of linear way yeah that's fair uh, and, and like again we can only speak from from our own experience right you any writer's going to write what they're familiar with uh but i think it is a fair criticism that these ideas do seem to be founded on the principle that you know eventually this society will come to these ideas or come to be able to understand these things and so until they can we should step away and it sort of abandons the notion that at some point in their development they'll get there and possibly will roll back from that right yeah and, or or ignores the possibility that perhaps they do understand but you you're not going to be able to see that when you interact with them we actually get a great example of that in uh star trek insurrection where uh there's this planet that uh the enterprise comes over to and it looks like every like it looks like a very simple civilization you know they they make fabrics and they're washing things by hand and they they have these huts they build by hand and whatnot so it looks like a very you know simple low-tech culture and as it turns out no these people had you know advanced technology the ability to go to the stars centuries ago and chose to give it up to lead yeah. simpler lives and it's just like you're com like again if you make the assumption just by what you see uh, of a civilization's technological advancements it actually means that there are situations where it would be ethically conscionable for you to intervene because they can be familiar with your level of technology and not like treat it as magic or develop a religion about it but you don't know until you talk to them yeah and that's, I think that's such a good point. And, and, and in many ways, I always, I, I don't think Insurrection is one of the better Star Trek movies by any <laughs> it, regard. It isn't. But I, but I liked that plot line, particularly because it felt like that was somewhat the writers commenting on the past ideas of the Prime Directive. Because that, that is such a rejection of that Trek idea that I thought of that I've always wondered if that was somewhat a little bit intentional. Oh, I definitely, um, it definitely was. And I agree with you. It was uh, one of the best things to come out of that movie. Right. Um, so let's now go into a little bit specifically more to how does this show explore this question. And and I think one of the best ways to do that is to start by looking at there's a whole series of decisions that are made, every one of which I think could be ethically examined. Um, and we're going to start – well, here's – actually, I think this is a good time to explain how the show ends because I think in order to really properly evaluate those decisions, we have to – 
kind of know how things end up. Do you think that's a, that's a fair, yeah, fair I, distinction? Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, would you like me to go ahead and explain how it ends? Yeah, why don't you give a, a brief description of kind of what, what is it that happens once they kind of reconnect with Isaac after leaving him there for so long? I mean, I feel like you have a slight disconnection of uh, from reality when you use the words brief and talk to me and say, tell me to talk. But, <laughs> I mean, sure. So, so when... So they... To, to remind everybody... When they left Isaac, uh, they left Isaac on the planet for the the last, like the next cycle to try to undo the damage. He's there for like seven hundred years or whatnot. When they get back, and they are just they, like when they come back, there's you know spacefaring civilization with technology equivalent or possibly even better. Actually, I think better. I think they're more advanced now than than the people uh, on the Orville in terms of their technological and cultural advancement, and. Uh, God, I really loved how this episode ends, so I'm trying to yeah. to not gush about it while I just explain. Um, but come back, and they talk to Isaac, and they're like, hey, what happened? And the, they reach out to the Orville, and the culture says, well, actually, Isaac being there didn't really solve it. Didn't really, like, solve the problem at all. But we worked it out ourselves, right? Um, and it sort of, it, it left this lesson, this idea that, yeah, like, the the last cycle it looks like you know they had been developing nuclear weapons there was an arms race there was tons of pollution it looks like they were going to destroy each other over these religious wars and it's this brilliantly hopeful idea that reminded me of some of Roddenberry's better uh better work uh where you know if you just let him be uh a lot of these a lot of the times people will figure it out for themselves and that's what happened with this culture and it's you know I the optimist in me would love to believe that that's always going to happen. But at the right. same time, I am right there with uh, Mercer and the rest of the Orville uh, in wanting to do everything they can to try to undo the damage they've done before this planet tears itself apart because of, you know, because of Kelly showing some basic compassion. And I, and I think, I think it's a really good summary, but I think there's one really important detail that you didn't hit. And I, I, I mean, I, I watched the show this very recently um, which is that one of the things that those people say as they're kind of reconnecting with the crew of the Orville, and I'll admit this scene was very rushed and I wish there had been more, but one of the things that those people say is mm. that it's not even just that they fix the problem of this religion, but that they recognize that as painful as it was, that the religion had a very important role in their social and cultural development, in being a thing that sort of helped to inspire them to to look to do better and to to give um, sort of moral guidance to some extent. And I that especially seemed like such a break from the Roddenberry idea because on some level what they were saying is that religion was something that society eventually grew out of, but that they were still able to recognize that while it had a lot of problems, it also had done a lot of social good. Um as well as kind of saying that if it hadn't been Kelly, there would have been something yeah, else. Yeah, I actually you know, had, that, that, so, um, And I just thought that was such an interesting take because there, as I said, that is such a departure from the kind of Roddenberry idea of the future where we realized religion was just hokey superstition. Yeah, I actually have the – I had that quote pulled up. I didn't know if we wanted to go into it or not, but uh, it is it is exactly that. They say, our planet worshipped you as a deity for many centuries. But had it not been you, the mythology would have found another face. It's part of every culture's evolution. And that points to an idea you mentioned earlier that, like, I'm not sure you or I necessarily agree that the formation of, like, this broad, big religion that dominates uh, a majority of the planet at a given point in time 
is like a thing that's necessarily going to happen for every civilization's development. But right. uh, at least what they did is they came to the conclusion that, you know, you know, Kelly was a convenient face for, for the start of that religion, but something probably would have happened. Their culture, as they were saying, was like basically ready for it at that time. It's a really, right. it's a really interesting idea and one that um, doesn't... Well, and, and so, so, so having, having described it, I, I want to make sure, let, let's get back to the, the first discussions, but just we'll know sort of where things end up as we, and so let's definitely get more into that when we get to it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so, so starting there, Kelly is in this culture where she is supposed to keep herself totally secret. She, someone, in, not even just as an act of compassion, but someone she feels some guilt about a child hurts herself because she sees Kelly and is so surprised. Kelly feels an obligation to fix what, what happened. And that's the sort of incident where it's a clear break of their version of the prime directive and has all the results that it's supposed to, that it, that you're supposed to be trying to avoid. What's, what's your take on what she's doing there? So, I mean, from, from a uh, writing perspective, it's clearly like, intended as a cautionary tale right and this is why we have it there from kelly's perspective i like i don't think she did anything wrong uh and i do think that the consequences of her actions were unfortunate um i also think that in that position that is what you were supposed to do if if she had just seen the child like fall or injure themselves and hadn't been at least in part responsible then I think you can make the argument that what you're supposed to do there is keep keep to the non-interference. Uh, once the event happens and she's her presence is what instantiated it, the damage due to your presence being there has already been done, and what she does in that moment is what the crew of the Orville continues to try to do over the rest of the episode. So if she's wrong there, then every subsequent thing they try to do to fix it is also wrong, is my take. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think, and, and, and here, here this may also be the sort of thing where a show is trying to set up a particular question but misses a little bit, because I think what the show wants you to believe is that the thing that breaks the Prime Directive is when she fixes and heals the child. But as you said, in reality, what actually happened is the child seeing her is what caused the child to be injured in, in, in the beginning, and so you could easily argue just as much that if she hadn't saved them, that instead a religion grows up about this horrible demon, Kelly, that comes and scares little children. And, and you know, so it, it, I, I agree with you that I think the damage is already done there. But I think if you sort of take the show's conceit that it's the healing moment, it, it's a hard thing because I think, to me, one of the questions that you often run into is this kind of thing of, do you save one person and do incredible damage to everyone else? And I think I've talked about this on prior episodes. Certainly, I've talked about it with Paul and probably with you. This makes for very bad movies and television. And I know what that means. And I know why that is. But on some level, I have always thought the scene where our hero ignores their commanding officer and says, I'm going to go try and save this one person, even though it puts everyone on my ship or in my community or in my planet at risk. That, that, I, I always have trouble finding that person being the hero. And granted, this is, Kelly's thing is a little bit different, but I think I am 
granted, I, I think the end result is that the results are not as disastrous as you would think because of what we find out in the end. But I think I'm a little bit more on, I'm not sure she should have saved the kid because of that idea of the kind of larger... Con- I, I guess because here's the thing. In the end, I am always very concerned about people making decisions purely out of emotion. And I don't think in that moment Kelly is saying, let me actually think about what's going to be the repercussions of this event and, and, and analyzing it and coming to an ethical decision. I think she's saying, oh shit, I just caused a child to really be injured and possibly killed. I feel horribly guilty and sad about this. I want to fix this now. And I don't think it's as bad as like, this is the worst thing that anyone in the, the alliance can ever do. And so there has to be their prime directive. But I don't think I'm on the side of that she makes the right decision. Well, that's interesting. Uh, well, I mean, as far as the like wanting to see a somebody who defies their commanding officer actually not be painted as the hero, uh, that's The Last Jedi. Uh, and that's why we yep. like that movie <laughs> so much. Um, but the uh, – and there's something you said there, and I, and I – I 100% do not believe that you're intending it in this way, but I want to be clear that the the idea that you're presenting can easily be interpreted as a defense of the, well, if I poison one M&M in this bowl of M&Ms, uh, then how many of those M&Ms are you going to eat kind of argument? Uh, like, it, it has a conceit that that you know for a fact that you're, like, if you are Kelly your healing of this child will do damage to this culture. And right. you don't actually know that, right? You do know what you do know what uh, the positive consequences of your actions will be. You do know if you take that action, the child will live, right? You can say that right. with certainty, uh, but you don't know whether you're going to do damage or not beyond that point. And I don't think, like, I think that it should be a consideration, but I'm not... I guess I'm not sold on the idea that because your actions could have a consequence like that, it is not right to do them. Right. No, and I understand that. And I think that's part of where we'll get to at the end of this episode is sort of by the moral calculus of Kelly's understanding at the time, at least what the Alliance teaches at the time, the understanding that it could have, you know, catastrophic consequences is thought to be fairly certain. I think part of what the episode does is to leave us questioning that in a really important way. And and that's, again, where I sort of feel like if Kelly's if Kelly had been saying, look, I don't think we should be as scared about this as everyone claims. I'm just going to heal this girl. It's a, it's, it's a good thing. I think I would have almost even more supported that. It's, it's in part because it it doesn't seem like she weighs the moral consequences differently. It's that it seems like because of her own personal guilt, she decides not to care about the moral consequences. Um, I'm not sure. I, so, so I'm going to push back on that. I'm not sure it's sure. because she feels guilty that she does it. I think it's because of her compassion. Uh, I think mm. it just like uh, a lot of the doctor characters that we see in Star Trek where their Hippocratic Oath overrides their uh, their adherence to the prime directive time and time again i think it's right. to me it felt like that uh that she wasn't trying to do it just to solve her conscience she's trying to do it because she i think she did think it was the right thing to do in that moment and when mercer and, and kelly talk about it afterwards she like i think she's very clear about that 
Uh, it's right. been a while since I've seen the episode, so unfortunately I can't say for certain that that's what happens, but. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely get what you mean. And I think that that it's an important distinction and I think it's it, it's hard to kind of talk about. I mean, um, and I don't it's not don't get me wrong. It's not that I completely disagree with with your point of view either. I think you raise some very valid ethical points. One of the reasons we like this episode so much is that the questions are hard, right? It's not yeah. easy. It's not there's no definite answer. I don't think we can say that Kelly was necessarily right or wrong. I know what I believe. Uh but I'm not even 100% sure that that what I believe is right, right? It's funny because I was thinking as as we we did our last episode on Babylon Five and the Vorlons and the Shadows, I think that was a very good episode. We talked about a lot of great things, but at the end, part of what we were talking about is what a great job that show did of giving an answer to a difficult ethical question. But the show didn't actually leave you with many questions about that. Like by the end of the show, it's pretty clear where the Vorlons and the Shadows stand and where everything is. And I don't I don't think many people would disagree with many of the conclusions we came to on that episode. Um, whereas here, this is very different. As you just said, this is much more in the like team cap or team Tony thing where I think a lot of people could watch this show and, and, and come to different perspectives on what Kelly should have done, which to me is what a good sci-fi show really should do. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's move on to the next discussion, which is where one of the things that happens next is that Ed covers for her. And, um, because the part of the implication is that there is a possibility that and probably wouldn't be able to happen because of the way the culture evolves and things like that. That, the, but there would be a possibility of the alliance, which is the the version of the Federation in the show, basically fixing what Kelly did. And they never get a chance because Ed flat out lies about it and doesn't tell anybody else what happened, um, and so it doesn't give anyone else the chance to try and intervene and fix things. Um, what's your take on his decision? Oh boy, yeah. So I, I was hoping we were going to talk about Ed omitting. Her actions are like, because she tells him straight up, right, which is 100% ethically sound, saying, look, I I screwed up here. I violated some of our, our... – and what Ed does, because Ed is, you know – and this, I do think, is at least in part because of emotion, but also part because he's trying to protect his crew, right? It's very much – uh, for, for the listeners of the show, Matthew and I have been watching The Wire uh, recently. Rather, Matthew's been showing me The Wire and so it's very similar to the whole like you protect your people, the the cops protecting their the the people in their unit, uh, even when what the people in their unit did was wrong, right? right. Um, <clears throat> thinking about what uh, what uh, the lieutenant does with Prespaluski, and if you haven't seen the show, I apologize for saying a bunch of nonsense that you didn't understand. <laughs> um, God, we should do an episode on that uh, at some point. We really up. should. But uh, anyway, uh, so. There is an element to that, but when you ask, if you ask me in this case whether Ed is correct in omitting that very important fact about what they could have done to this culture from his report to the union, I think it's one hundred percent wrong. He should not have done that. Uh, I understand yeah. why he did it, but I very much disagree with that decision. And and I think so too. And I, in many ways, because I think that would be, if I was going to argue for how to relax the prime directive. I think one of the first things I would say is like, look, be aware that first contact situations if handled badly could have severe consequences. And so be ready to deal with those consequences in the moment to prevent them from getting much worse. And I think Kelly, Kelly knows that. And I think part of why Kelly tells him is, is specifically for that reason, so that something can be done to try to solve this. And I think what Ed does there is, 
again, very understandable because he's covering for his 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 crew person. But I think there it's again it's it's the putting the emotion ahead of the the larger situation. And, and here because he is in love with his first officer and that's his ex wife yeah. and there's the, there's a lot of emotional baggage there. So there. I think, like, I agree with your argument that there is a clear, emotional, not really rational decision. Although, and, and so this is another part of it, is that if if the consequences for this kind of violation weren't so stark, I mean, they make it very clear that, like, this could be the end of Kelly's career uh, for doing this, if I recall correctly. And that's that's too much, right? For For something like this... That means that nobody's ever going to cop to it, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, and that means, a, in sense, the commanding officer who wants to keep his people loyal to do exactly what Mercer did and cover for him. So, in some ways, uh, God, this is terrible. But in some ways, Mercer is kind of a victim of the system because he's put into that position in the first place where he has to choose between uh, the career, uh, potentially the career of a very fine officer in the union. And, you know, yeah, reporting something that might not be a big deal. They don't even know at that point if it's a big deal yet. And, and that's something that I think can be, um, I mean, that's a whole other discussion we can have another time. But I think you're right. There is a very interesting question there about what level of discipline can you do before you get to a point where you actively discourage people from reporting problems for fear of that discipline. Um, but so let's now move on to the next next major decision, because I do want to uh, make sure we get through all of this and uh, we can't go too much longer. Um, but where, um, Kelly tries to speak to, again, what you said is effectively the Pope. They don't call him that, but he has a, uh, an outfit that is very reminiscent of a, you know, middle ages, uh, papal figure. He speaks to the crowds from a balcony and, and he's referred to as sort of the Holy Father and, and things like that. I don't, again, I don't think they use that exact term, but something like it. Um, and Kelly tries to say, you know, look. All these truths that the religion is based on are are false. You you can't do this. Um, and and then the Pope believes her at first, um, and then is is killed by the um, by by his sort of second in command. What's what's your take on how all that played out? Well, so the actual conversation with the Pope at that point, you know, remember this this all happens like we get Kelly saving the girl, we get Ed covering for her, and under normal circumstances they wouldn't see these kinds of ramifications until the people involved on the union side of it were well past dead. Right. Right. Yeah. This is 1500 years later. Right. And this is a, like, so this is not something that they would normally have had to wrestle with, which is another reason I really love this episode because it presents questions and challenges that you would never get and you can't get outside of science fiction. Um, It does what I think science fiction does best, which is to say, Let's take an existing question, put it into a completely fanciful um, hypothetical, and ask how does that change the question? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But so, yeah, so what, what do you think of, of Kelly's decision here? Well, so talking to the established religion about, like, hey, look, look, you can't do this in my name. I'm not even a real god. Like, woof. <laughs> I mean, basically, talk, like, that would be like, I, I don't have a good analog, but, like, it's... I, I don't think it's wrong. I don't think it's right either. I think it's what she had to do, right? And I, yeah. I think that she, she was sort of boxed in um, because the only right thing to do there is to try to lessen the damage. And here that means, like, taking the lesser of two evils, like saying, nope, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to disprove 
uh, I'm going to prove to you that like I am the idol that you've started to worship uh, and that I am not what what you think I am in order to stop the damage that the religion that is formed around my idea is now doing. Like, it's tough, but uh, I, mm-hmm. I think that sh- that's what she's supposed to do. I think it's in that real ethical gray area uh, because there's – look, there's a lot of problems with uh, – going in as an advanced civilization and saying, here's why your religion is hogwash. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, Matthew hasn't seen think... the, the last two uh, Orville episodes. So anybody who's listening, who wants to talk about that specifically, wait a couple <laughs> of weeks. <laughs> yeah. No spoilers for that. Um, But I, but yeah, I, I think, I think you're right. And honestly, I think this is, you know, I said, I'm not really thrilled with Kelly's decision to, to heal the girl. I definitely think Kelly is wrong here because I think, and in some ways, I think the ending of the show especially kind of gets to this, but it's it's something that I think um, you see a lot, whether or not a religion is right or wrong. I mean, that whole question makes no sense. But, what, you know, if a religion that is being based on, you know, beliefs that are clearly provably false, um, I think we're dealing with this in our own world, going in and telling those people, even, th- you know, in some way, quote unquote, proving it, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Even if you can convince one or two people, those people, the beliefs like that become so deeply ingrained as part of the culture that it's just so easy to just completely reject any attempt to do that. And I think we're seeing that now when, you know, the, the lengths that people will go to to ignore any evidence of global warming or evolution or that homosexuality isn't sinful or, or any of these things. Um I'm not saying that that we don't need to keep continuing to to help people understand how how wrong those beliefs are, but I think a part of what we see is that to just go in and say, "Look, I know more than you. I'm right. Clearly, you're wrong. Change everything today," is not only ineffective but is in many ways harmful because it it makes people kind of double down on things, and it makes people like now that their beliefs are threatened, there's now so much more of a push to defend those beliefs and. The episode didn't say this, and I'm kind of headcanning a little bit, but the world that they show us that's the equivalent of our modern-day world, religion plays a much bigger part in the catastrophes of that time uh, than it does even in our own world, which is hard to imagine because religion plays some pretty awful roles here. But it seems like it plays a much bigger role, and I'm headcanning here, but I think part of the implication was supposed to be that that whole incident kind of like redoubled the need for people to to defend the religion and i i I sort of wonder that person who kills the pope and takes over does he now sort of shift the church a little bit towards and we must remember that there will be false prophets who claim to be kelly and claim to think that they're right and we must destroy them in all ways um i've kind of gone off on a long rant there but i i definitely feel like Religion is such an ingrained part of culture that it is easy for those people who are not religious and especially those who think of themselves as more sort of scientific and thus that religion is is hokey, um, which a a belief that I can very much understand and respect, but that it's easy to therefore kind of think of religion as something that can be very easily dismissed and very easily fixed. I think part of what this episode gets to is just how wrong that is. And that's a that's a really good point, and and I mean, as you say, the the episode sort of like gives that lesson too that like even if you go in there and say, look, I am your god, and I am not actually your god, 
it won't really fix anything, or it, it most likely won't fix anything, because you can't change a culture with a single speech. Um, there, that's that's something that like we love to believe that in our stories that like one set of words said at the right time to the right people in the right moment will change the world. The reality is that the like our culture certainly doesn't work that way. Why would anybody else's? Um, so I think that's that's a really good point that you're raising. I have a quick hypothetical for you. I know that we're we're pressed for time, but how would you have felt about it if instead of doing what she did, which is say, look, your religion is wrong. If she had instead played the role, right, and then yeah. used it to try to guide, uh, so like basically, if she she assumed the role of the Vorlons uh, and tried to just guide them, nudge them in the right direction of, hey, just killing people for not believing in me, that's not what I'm about. Uh, it, like I, I have opinions, but I'm curious, what what would you think about that instead? I think, I think, I definitely think that the approach should have been to try to in a much more subtle way, you know, deal with things. And that they're very limited because of the fact that they only are there for 13 days. Mm -hmm. You know, like, ideally you spend sort of five years going around and, like, talking to one person and talking to someone else and, and letting those ideas kind of spread naturally and organically. Um, I think something like that might have might have made sense. Um, I think, again, because, yeah, because I think it, it, the the general idea, I think, there has to be once that religion has taken hold so much, you can't just undo the religion. What you have to do is find a way to speak to people in that context to guide the religion to being something less destructive and more more ready to evolve into what it becomes. Um, and so, yeah, I think that could have been a way to do it. I, I, I think, you know, writing some texts that could be discovered that are, you know, letters from cat you know there's eight million ways you could do it and of course there's a danger of like are you reifying the religion or are you kind of helping them move past it but i think something like that again could have been done that would be a lot more effective than just walking in oh by the way i'm kelly everything you believe is wrong yeah and i don't disagree about the potential efficacy i do think that that would have been massively more ethically wrong um ethically problematic to do be because well here's the thing that's Cult, that's mass cultural manipulation right is what you're effectively doing in that situation right you're 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 not i mean technically you are playing god right just not in the way that that we think of it when we use that phrase and i think right. that like assuming a role that like you know yourself to be false just to get people on your side it's just i don't know it to me it just feels very dishonest uh mm -hmm. i I, I agree with you that it probably would have been more effective to do that. And actually the, the next point when, when Kelly offers to go back, that's what they're proposing is like to try to just influence the cultural zeitgeist over time and, and see if we can get them to, to, to get on board with, with a better way of, of approaching life, et cetera, um, and a better life's philosophy. But like for, for whatever reason, and I don't know if this is because of my own personal beliefs, but it just, to me feels so much worse to go in there and to pretend to in any way pretend to be something you're not or like write up religious texts to be found uh to right. manipulate these people to think into doing what you think they should do and i think that's the problem i have with it is that basically what you're trying to do is is force a people to believe what you want them to believe right so and, and I, I will say i think i completely agree with you there 
I think the thing is that I don't know if that's any less, if that's any more emotionally manipulative than what she does. Fair. Because she is still just as much trying to, um, she is just as much trying to manipulate the entire society. She's just trying to do it by changing the person at the head of it, uh, in, in a different kind of a way. Yeah. Um, so let me actually put my own hypothetical on it to you. What if they come across this culture that has this deeply problematic religion that has nothing to do with Kelly? That's just a religion that they, you know, came up with entirely on their own. That is, you know, in a kind of crusades-like way, doing a lot of terrible things. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Matthew. Maybe watch uh, the episode that showed up two weeks ago, and we can talk okay. about that later. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So again, I'll, it's hard for you because you get spoiled. But I, because to me, they I'm literally say, cover it. So like, I can't like, I can't okay. speak in hypotheticals. That is literally what happens. Okay. Well, and maybe that's an interesting kind of counterpoint to this episode. But where I would go with it, I just and I, I maybe you can approach it just from this hypothetical perspective. Is to my mind, on some level. Yes, there is an emotional response. Yes, there is sort of a responsibility for the situation that happened. Mm -hmm. But if you would be able to look at that culture and say, this religion is terrible and is doing terrible things, but our prime directive says we don't interfere, I feel like whether or not you caused the religion to start, I don't know if it changes the question enough to be relevant. I sort of feel like either way, because you're right, it is so incredibly manipulative. And, you know, can you manipulate people to fix a problem that you started by unintentionally manipulating them? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Does it change the moral character of it? I like I think that's a very good point. The The idea that, like, if you encounter it and you didn't have a hand in its creation at all, does it change the question? That's an excellent question. I don't yeah. think it does. Uh, but I I. Like, again, I have a slightly different perspective, uh, sort of this absolutist perspective, um, if you will. But, like, I don't think it does. I think it's the same question. Like, it's either you want to help the civilization or you don't, right? right. If you think that they're doing damage to themselves over time, that they're, they've got some cultural practice that is just complete. Like, look, look at what they did with the Mocklands, right? Where they, like they brought basically mockling culture on trial and, and tried to make a case for why this portion of their culture was wrong. They've already kind right. of shown us that the, at least from the Orville Cruz perspective, they're willing to sit here and challenge uh, aspects of a culture they don't agree with. Um, yeah. But they would probably meet it on those terms. Right. And I think that there's something very dangerous about that. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about that when we talked about the mocking culture you know, there's something very colonialist and very imperialist about we think that our culture is better than yours, and so we are going to try and change your culture. And and there, again, is, I think, a reason why the prime directive type thing is important, because it tries to prevent that kind of thing. Um, Absolutely. Like, I'm thinking just, just, just in our own world, um, and and she gets kind of singled out a bit too much, and so I, I don't want me to just single out Eve Ensler for what I'm about to talk about, because others did this as well. You know, Eve Ensler, the woman who wrote the vagina monologues, Shortly after that was a huge success, very publicly announced and, and did work on the idea that her next crusade was going to be to eliminate female genital mutilation in, in Africa, um, one, of the, one of the major areas where it takes place. And I mean, she was looking to, to eliminate it most in anywhere in the world, but she was mostly focusing on Africa. And 
I think, an incredibly laudable goal. But she was doing it very much from an outside that I, as an outsider of American background, am going to try and go and talk to Africans about why their culture is wrong without any real understanding of the culture. And it backfired in eight million ways for all the reasons you could you could imagine. And and to me, that that's kind of that that's again what I'm kind of seeing here is the religion is obviously really harmful, but I, I just don't see how any attempt any attempt to fix that is not going to have even worse consequences. Yeah. And, and basically like, and we, we talked about this at the time too. We talked about this during our last episode on Orville. It's like, this show just keeps bringing these questions up, man. Uh, but, but this, like, if you march into a room and say your culture is wrong, uh, you are very unlikely to get any traction. Uh, and yet that's exactly what, uh, Kelly did in this scene. Like, she has great intentions, right? The best of intentions, but it is the same kind of thing. And, and I, I agree that the, like, you have to enter into it. Like, look, there are still situations where, you know, people are doing things that are like, I believe completely morally wrong. Right. But Mm -hmm. you can't enter into the conversation, right? You, you won't be part of the conversation if you don't make it a conversation, I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and that's really tricky, especially if something is like to you just completely morally unconscionable. You can't fathom how people come to this conclusion, right? But especially when we're dealing with these alien cultures in these science fiction worlds, we have no context for the civilization's history and development, right? We don't know how they came to these conclusions. We don't know how we don't know anything about their culture, their beliefs, uh, how ingrained this is into their society. Uh, so, like, again, as as you rightly pointed out, you can't just walk into a room and say, nope, you're wrong. Please stop. Yeah. And, and, and but like I said, like you said, it's, it's what is so good about the show because because I also don't want to go that far on the other end. Right. You know, like, on all these questions, I don't want to just say, like, female gen- genital mutilation, totally fine. It's their culture. It's their practice. You know, nothing wrong with that. It, it's something that strikes me as horrific, and I think strikes a lot of people as horrific for very good reasons. I understand why Kelly thinks what is happening on this planet is so horrific and so in, in ways like that. And I, I, so I don't think that, the, that any of this is an argument to say, like, you know, let the other cultures be and, and do whatever their own thing, as much as just that it is a, a question of simply believing that something else is wrong, you can't that there's so much more complexity to deciding whether or not to act on that or how to act on that or all that kind of thing because the possibilities of colonialism and, and imperialism and imposing your culture on a, a, a different culture without any understanding of the context just makes no sense whatsoever. Um, which is why, and I think, like, you know, one of the things that, that I think is often a response to that is that the better way to achieve cultural change is not to, as the outsider, come in and try to do it, but as the outsider to try to find insiders who believe that same thing and try to encourage them and support them in them finding the best way to change their own culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And that leads into, because I think to some extent that's what Kelly uh, wants to do when she offers to go back and stay there for the rest of her life. And that Isaac winds up doing instead. Right. Um, What's your, what's your take on that, on that perspective? So, I mean, Kelly offering to go back, that is a, big sacrifice and it's it's a, a really big acknowledgement of 
you know, her hand in this, the own, like she's taking ownership of, of the consequences of her actions, even though like she really drew a bad lot on this one, right? Like this could have broken so many different ways. And like, it really feels like, especially at this point in the episode that she just drew the absolute worst possible scenario. Um, and so, like, but it's still like, it, it's really big to be all like, you know what, my, the rest of my natural life is worth trying to help this culture, help these people out of this problem uh, that I've had some hand in generating. I don't think she would have offered to do it if it hadn't, if she hadn't been the the inciting incident, right? If if that hadn't been her, um, which does sort of separate it from some of the other cultures or or uh, belief systems that they're encountering that they might have problems with. Right, because nobody's yeah. nobody's offering that big of a sacrifice at any point. But I think like it's earned. I like, and I feel like it's too big of an ask as well. Like I feel like even though she's willing to do it, I think that it is well above and beyond what anybody can reasonably be expected to do. I think in this particular situation, uh, it's less about whether it's ethically uh, problematic, ethically right or wrong. I think we. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we both think that that approach that she's willing to take is like the best thing that she can do uh, once yeah. we get to that point. Um, but it's more about like, is it reasonable to expect somebody to, to do that uh, and to, to make that big of a sacrifice? And I just, yeah. Uh, well, especially because, and it's funny that I keep hitting on the same issue and, and, and I don't know why I'm so thinking about it today and for this episode but there again, it feels like Kelly's primary motivation is it, it's compassion, but it is also the guilt. Like it's not, you know, I think the fact that the one person who really wants to volunteer to do this is the person who feels directly responsible. I don't think it's coincidental. Um, and I, <clears throat> I agree with you. I feel like I don't know if it's a sacrifice that would make sense. And I, I think that it is, um, as we've said, kind of if you are hell-bent on changing this in some way that that would be the most effective but you're right it, it is it is not even asking because she's the one to offer but i think it, it's too much to to make her do or to let her do especially when it seems like i, I think i think this really comes out in her acting it's a great acting job she's motivated by compassion but also just that that sense of responsibility not even maybe guilt but responsibility mm -hmm. that this is something that i did so i need to fix it yep yeah. And like here I here I completely agree with you that like and it's not that I think that that like I don't question that particular motivation. I don't think that's worse than like I I don't believe that people should just do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, right? If you do the right thing because you feel guilty, fine. I care about your actions, not not your motivations uh in that particular case. Uh in other cases as we've talked about, sometimes I care about your motivations too. But if you're doing the if you're doing the right thing, then and it's a it's a sacrifice like that, your motivations are less important to me. So let me uh, now tee up the question that I think you'll love to talk about. Um, Isaac winds up being the one to do it, and they do try to talk him out of it a little bit. But he makes pretty clear: look, because I'm a robot, I'm not gonna I can live that entire time. I'm not gonna die, and I'm not gonna get bored. I'm not gonna be bothered by, uh, you know. He basically says, look, since I have no emotions and no feelings. I won't be troubled by doing this very weird thing for the next 50,000 years or, or, you know, a thousand years, whatever it is. If it, um, as the, as the resident robots are people too, person, 
What what's your take on that? At at bots are people too on Twitter. Uh, follow yes. me if you like. Uh, but if Isaac had not volunteered, uh, I would be very upset about this episode rather than loving it so much. Um, in some ways, I actually feel like this was a really good moment for Isaac because mm-hmm. it it was his like here's something only I can do. And prior to this episode, I feel like. Isaac had been mostly portrayed as very self-interested, right? Like he's he's there to study and and learn about these like weird fleshy creatures and stuff and it's it's that very like detached robot thing that we get a lot in right. media and it's mostly played for comic relief and I very much dislike it. Um but here he identifies I'm the right candidate for this because nobody actually has to give anything up. Um and I can do this and so I am the like I am the logical choice. I am the right choice for this. Um, it's convenient that they happen to have an artificial life form uh, that was capable <laughs> of doing this. Uh, but like, I can't you know, I can't uh, fault the writers for utilizing something that they established in episode one and episode thirteen. I'd be a monster if I did that. Uh, right. So it's uh, but I, I think it shows a rare. Uh, for for Isaac, especially at that point in the series, it shows a rare amount of I like I don't want to say compassion because I don't think that he that, that Isaac processes things the same way that you or I do. I don't think that mm-hmm. he has the, the level of emotional intelligence that you or I do, but I think he starts to understand uh what you know, what, what these collaborative beings do uh in these situations and that this is something that needs to happen and i think that he under also understands that like this is a problem that needs to be solved and that it is important enough for him to do this uh yeah i just like there were a lot of ways they could have wrapped this up that would have made me not okay with it i was 100 percent okay with with isaac going down and and trying to be the perpetual influence to slowly see if we could shift the culture yeah, and I, th- I think that's a good way of phrasing it because it it you know the 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 big it, it's a nice way of in Star Trek Data is constantly trying to be human, but but the ways in which he is not human are often portrayed as you know a fault and things that he is he feels bad about, even though he can do things that that everyone else can do that no one else can do, and and they play with this a little bit with Data, but I think here they're going even further with Isaac of showing here's something that he can do that no one else can do. And so here's a way where his, um, uh, a, a way that um, his being so different is actually a huge advantage and not a drawback and him being less than human. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, um, and, it, and it, again, to, to hit on that point that I keep going to, the fact that I think you were saying this, for him it is a completely dispassionate position. I don't think, he doesn't have any compassion. He doesn't have any, his life, his existence isn't affected in any way whatsoever, whether or not this planet develops in one way or another. Uh, and so, so to, to play out that way, I think it, it was just a really nice way to play with this idea of, of sort of the role of artificial life in these things. Right. And that you could come to, I, I like that they portrayed that you can come to the logical conclusion that this should be done without having any emotional investment in it. Um, Cause that's again, kind of a hopeful idea, right? That, you know, pure, quote unquote, pure reason that a lot of uh, geeks sort of sometimes worship at the altar of 
which is a little bit problematic in and of itself. Uh, but that, yeah. that can come to this the idea that that can come to the same conclusion that we need to repair to the culture. We need to repair help help this planet not kill itself um, is just a beautiful notion. Yeah. So, so what's your take on on where it ends up? And that that we we talked about it some already, but let's let's kind of circle back that conversation that the episode ends with about um, them being told, like, look, you weren't really able to fix this problem, but the problem shifted and grew and evolved till it wasn't a problem anymore, and and on some levels wasn't a problem, and that it was actually a help. What what's kind of your take there? I feel like this is the show writers uh, trying to give a message of hope to us to us in our culture right now uh is that that's how i i interpreted it at the time is like look some messed up stuff is happening it's part of uh any civilization's growing pains and we can we'll move past it and we'll get over it just like this civilization did uh even though like it seems very bleak and it seems like you know we're two steps away from completely destroying ourselves and the world around us um i love the idea uh i really want it to be true I don't know if it is, and I don't know if it is. Um, I, I, while I love the hopeful message, my one criticism of it is that I'm not sure it is completely responsible to send a, a message like that in a piece of science fiction when we know full well right now that we should be alarmist about what we're what we're doing to our planet specifically. Right. Well, so let's break this down because I feel like there's two major points that are made in that last scene. The first point of which is religion and superstition and the harm it's done, a cultural will naturally evolve past it. And the second is that religion, for all of its kind of dangers and hurts, and that eventually you need to grow past it, does have some helpful developmental effects on a society and culture. Um, so I think they're related, but two different questions. Yeah. Um, for, it sounds like what you're talking about there is the answer to the first one, that you, you, it sounds like would like the idea to think that we'll grow past those things, but you're not sure. And, and you're concerned that it might be dangerous to even kind of push the idea that we will. Yeah. And, and like, I think the, those two points are sort of tied part and parcel together. Right. But, but they are different. And, and like, I do like, uh, the idea of, of sort of illustrating that, look, not everything to do with religion is bad. It can, it can, really help it can really help change and and grow people and, and grow a culture etc um and so the idea that like and as you rightly criticized uh star trek for oftentimes in star trek we got this sort of very broad strokes all religion is is bad and they're all false gods and it's people manipulating people and that's all it ever is um and i did like the message that look not everything that comes out of religion is a bad thing right even though I am not myself a follower of any particular religion, I don't like, I just don't subscribe to the idea that it's all evil. Right. Yeah. Well, and again, I think that's getting a little into the second question, just on the first one, I, I definitely hear where you're coming from in terms of the concern and then not sure it's there. And here again, I kind of wish this was a two parter because I would have loved to actually get to see more of what happens on that planet while Isaac is there because my, again, kind of headcanon is that the culture goes through a moment kind of like what is happening in our culture today, where you have a whole spectrum of some people who are holding on to the most fundamental beliefs of the religion and refusing to accept anything else. 
other people for whom the religion is kind of a social and, and community thing. And, and sometimes it's very hypocritical and sometimes it's just a nice place to, you know, take your kids on a Sunday or a Friday night. And, and then you have some people who are trying to really push to reform religions and to change them and to make them less, you know, horrible. And then a lot of people who've rejected the ideas entirely. Um, and I'm kind of, I, I guess I'm imagining that that's the direction that this society goes through. But again, we don't know because we just don't see it because there's not enough time in the episode. Um, and I guess I kind of feel like I, I'm kind of, I'm close to where you are, but maybe in a little more hopeful way, which is that I think, I think you're right. I don't necessarily think that a religion would ever be completely pushed out of a culture. Um, and by the way, other people know that if you've been listening for a while, you know this about me, but I should say as full disclosure, I am myself a religious person. I'm very much one of those super liberal Christian types that I just talked about, but I have been, a, I, I've worked professionally in the church for a number of years. I don't anymore, but I still am uh, connected to those worlds. So obviously I have a distinct bias in this discussion. Um, but I, I guess, and who knows where things are going to go. And especially because in, in some ways we're seeing a real revamping of fundamentalism, um, in, in many of the world's religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, um, we're seeing it come back in a lot of ways. And, and I think, I, I, guess I, I guess here's where I would agree with you, is I think the process of moving away from superstition and fundamentalism is, I think, a process that will happen. But I don't think it just naturally happens. I think it happens because people fight to make it happen and people really work hard to change these cultural beliefs from inside the culture. Um, and I think if I have any hope that's going to happen, it, it's more like that kind of thing. Um, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. 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 And I can get behind that. And like, I, I agree with you that I feel like if we had had more time right in the episode uh, to, to explore something like that and see the change rather than just being told kind of like, and it didn't feel super cheap, right? It, it was still really good. And I remember leaving the episode feeling very, very good because I like, it was just oh, yeah. this incredibly hopeful message about the future. Um, and it's, it's hard to look at that and, and be at least for me and be all like, yeah, whatever world's bad. <laughs> but, um, but, oh, yeah, and to be clear, I'm not saying I thought it was a bad ending. I think it was a fantastic ending that I just wished we'd had a lot more. No, of. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm, and I'm saying that I agree with you that if we had gotten that like sort of view into the world uh at least like maybe even just like a, a clip show uh of isaac down on the planet interacting with culture at different points in time and seeing like the culture themselves like slowly progress and change and grow to a point where they could unify their understanding of their world and their understanding of their religion and, and everything without having these you know with, without having to go to war over like uh, differences in beliefs etc um, right. Uh, I would have liked to see that more natural progression. And of course, like the whole conceit of the episode is we get to cheat thousand a thousand years here or there uh, in development and not see any of it. Um, right. So of course, like why would the last scene be any different? But like that's the one where I really wanted the microscope. But then we're asking the writers to basically show us how we're going to solve our own problems right now. And like if they knew, they'd be doing it. <laughs> so right. No, I think that I think that's definitely true. Um, and so, what do you think about the second point of that question? The, the this this conceit that even a religion such as the Church of Kelly, where we saw the horrible parts and the destruction and the and the the people being killed and the the you know the cultural uh, problems, 
them kind of turning around at the end saying, overall, the Church of Kelly seemed to be a good thing for us. And it, it, it helped us develop in ways that, that if it wasn't Kelly, something else would have been. So there is a – you can look back at our history, actually, for a great example of, of this very idea. Uh, the At least in the Western world, uh, the – the start of many of the scientific disciplines came from the church, right? And it's this idea where curiosity about the world around you uh, can be inspired, is often sparked by by belief or by um, wanting to know more about the creation or about God or, or what have you. Uh, and so, like, I very much, like, that was something I really liked, the idea that that it it lit the spark it lit the match of maybe there's more to our world than we realize than what's right in front of us uh and that you know being the catalyst for you know them exploring more about their world learning about their world learning science and art and, and industry later on etc um all being sort of catalyzed by the formation of this particular religion or, or by the the congregation of people right uh, around this right. one idea where there's this there's now this this um shared viewpoint where that can serve as as a, a binding point to share ideas which can help a culture grow like again it, it that is literally what has happened on our planet and I like that they didn't. I I love that the show writers chose to, to sort of bring that idea out. And they did not do it in as many words. But that's sort of what I came away from it with. And I so I, I agree with and like that they chose to do that. Yeah, and I I think I feel the same way. And again, I I have a very distinct bias. Obviously, I I think today that even with all the problems religion has, that that it can do some good, and that's why I'm part of the the institution. And and I don't even. Like, I don't even think that Seth MacFarlane was saying that he def definitely agrees with that as much as I would. But I think he was doing something so interesting because that's a perspective you almost never see in science fiction, especially not huge, you know, huge media science fiction. It comes up a lot in some science fiction writing. Um, but, you know, Trek itself, the, the, as, as we said at the beginning, the conceit is always religion is bad and they have to, it has to be fixed. Um and so I did like this perspective just as a, as a nice counterpoint to that, to say here – and that you don't have to say that this is true for all societies and it might not be true for our own society here on earth. Here on earth, you could easily say religion has overall been a bad thing. But just presenting one culture where they could say maybe here it wasn't a bad thing even if there was a lot of bad parts to it or, or even not even that it, it means it's overall a good thing but just that it's, it's a thing that was going to happen some way or another anyway – and so trying to overall decide is it good or bad isn't really important. We just understand how we developed past it. Um, and I think that's a really that's a really interesting take on it all. Yeah, for, for more of religion in science fiction, see Jakar's entire storyline uh, post-season <laughs> three in Babylon 5. Yes. But uh, that's... Yeah, Babylon 5 actually I think is a very good show that, that uh, in a counterpoint to that also... Um, Shows both the good and both the bad and the good mm -hmm. um, of how religion can play in. Um, I also want to mention, just because whenever I get a chance to get a dig in at Robert Heinlein, I like to take it. Um, <laughs> the the discussion we were having before about sort of the danger of people who think they're better than religion using religion to manipulate people. Um, spoilers for this book. So if you want, skip ahead sixty seconds. If you haven't read Moon as a Harsh Mistress, spoiler warning. Take your time. I hate that book for so many reasons. But this is one of the biggest because I don't know if you've read it. It is a book about 
a group of people who are in a very Heinlein tradition, they believe that all the people who aren't as smart as them are making dumb decisions and they know what's best for all those people. And if the people were just smart enough to listen to these folks, they would do what is right, but they won't listen to these folks. So they create a religion to make the people believe in instead. <sighs> um, and it's, it, I haven't read the book in a long time. I think what it has done is that like, basically a computer is what's figuring it all out, but they, they make it seem like the computer is a religious figure. Um, Anyway, I don't want to get into a long thing about that, but that's just another example, I think, of what you were talking about, about where even when it's for the best of intentions, when it's super smart people trying to use religion in this kind of way to manipulate others, it gets real bad. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we've kind of um, – we had a couple other sort of wrap-up questions that we've actually hit pretty well. Um, are there any kind of closing thoughts you have before we start to wrap this up? Uh, like so for the most part, like – if you if you enjoyed the show but didn't actually watch every episode of season one, uh, for sure watch Mad Idolatry. It is far and away the best episode of the first season, and is what got me to sign on to okay, definitely watching season two, probably watching this show until it dies, uh, because yeah. it showed me what the kinds of of questions that they're willing to tackle and how they're willing to tackle them, how, how deep they're willing to go. Uh, and then yeah. look forward to our episode on All the World is Birthday Cake uh, coming probably <laughs> in a month or so. That, that's the name of uh, Season 2, Episode 5, which is the one okay. that I keep referencing uh, sidelong in the podcast. But, like, it's, it's going to be I may be push soon. that we're not going to be quite there in a month just because we've now done a lot of a uh, little more obscure science fiction television. But I think we will definitely get to it at some point because this is such a good show that raises so many things. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, and I think that's – I don't really have any other closing thoughts there. I think we, we, we hit a lot of the stuff that's interesting. Um, I would just say, as always, um, we, we've we raised some really great questions. I want to know what you think. I know J Jacob wants to know what you guys think. Um, Jacob actually realized last time that there was an uh, issue about the, the Vorlons and Shadows that he hadn't brought up. And so we posted it on Twitter, and he and I got to have a good Twitter conversation there. These are great ways to interact with us, um, and there's now a, a couple of more things you can do. First of all, as always, you can find us on um, uh, Twitter and on Facebook at Superhero Ethics. Those are the main accounts for, for the, the page itself and the, the podcast itself, and we'll always respond there. Also, if you want to correspond with us directly, both Jacob and I are on Twitter. Um, I am on Twitter at Caped Ethicist, uh, C-A-P-E-D-E-T-H-I-C-I-S-T. Caped Ethicist, it, Google will misspell it. We'll, we'll spell it properly for you, even if I can't. Um, uh, and, and Jacob, who are you on Twitter? I am bots R the letter R. So bots are people two T O O on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Robots are um, people too would not fit, which made me very sad. I understand. I understand that the struggle is real, my friend. The struggle is real. Um, so yeah, so those are both good ways to reach us. Um, you can also email us at superheroethics at gmail.com. For us, the best part of these conversations is getting to hear from you guys and getting to continue the conversations that way. Um, another thing I want to announce, I said last time that we were trying to get a Patreon set up. We do now have a Patreon set up. It is um, patreon.com uh, backslash superhero ethics. Or if you just search for superhero ethics, uh, patreon.com, you'll find it. Um, be sure you do have the podcast site. As I mentioned before, someone else has written a book called Superhero Ethics. That also has a Patreon uh, site. But we have the actual superhero ethics uh, on Patreon. So you can find us easily. There's so many other ways to support the podcast. We certainly don't expect it from anyone, but from anyone who does want to make that little donation, 
Um, you can do as little as a dollar an episode. Um, it does a lot to help keep Jacob and I being able to do this in terms of uh, uh, the time spent and the, um, the the technology. We're trying to upgrade some of our uh, recording technology and things like that. And there's also some great rewards you can get. You can get thanks by us on the air. You can get um, some great uh, merchandise like T-shirts and, and mouse pads and things like that. Um, and, and even at the highest level, you get to, to help us plan an episode and basically suggest a topic that we'll do an episode on. So Patreon's a great way to support us. Just getting the word out to your friends, telling them about it, all those things we so greatly appreciate. Because uh, more than anything, you guys, the fans, are what makes this, makes this show possible. So uh, a huge thank you to the fans. Uh, Jacob, I know you want to throw a thank you out there. I would like to thank Jack Hesse for the use of our intro and outro song. He is the composer of those two pieces of music. Uh, thank you very much, Jack, for the use of those. Yeah, it, they are both. Um, you'll now notice that we now have outro music instead of in, 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 as, instead of just intro music. Uh, the the two pieces kind of wonderfully co- uh, complement each other, and I think do a lot to to help this podcast. So, thank you guys to the fans. Thank you, Jacob. Uh, thank you so much to Jack, and uh, on behalf of all of us, have a good day.